All right, let's stand if we're able to do so for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 56, we're going to look at the first three verses uh, by way of opening. I'll give you the title of the Bible study tonight, and then we'll see if we can make it all the way through the chapter this evening. Verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this. And the Son of Man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil, neither let the Son of the Stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. The title of the Bible study this evening is just simply this, Come one, come all. Come one, come all. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for the Bible. Thank you for its richness, its depth. Uh, it's, it is a source that is uh, so profound and deep, we'll never get to the bottom of it. Uh, it really is unsearchable in its riches. Thank you for it. I pray, God, tonight that you would encourage us with the Bible, challenge us with the Bible, and Lord, help us to see truths in here tonight. That will help motivate us to be more like you. We can't wait till we get to heaven one day and are made perfect in your righteousness and fully understand that sanctification and even one day that state of glorification. Until then, Lord, help us to be faithful and consistent with our Bibles. Help us to grow. Help us to set sin to the side. And Lord God, help us to love one another. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Isaiah 53 is a pivotal chapter, an important chapter in uh, the book. And we spent several weeks looking at the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, uh, the, the prophecy of the crucifixion of the Messiah, who we now know to be the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. And then chapter 54 builds on chapter 53 and is focused on Israel. Chapter 54 talks about how Israel is blessed by the fact that the Messiah was crucified and then rose from the dead. Chapter 55, which we just finished up last week, uh, focuses on the Gentile, how the cross applies to the Gentiles. And so we come to chapter 56 and the ch- the book be- this rather this chapter still building on the crucifixion in 53 chapter 56 begins with Israel and then works outward toward the Gentiles and even addresses eunuchs and how they fit into the picture uh, of the millennial reign of Christ one day king Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem's throne, and the Old Testament law that was built upon by Jesus with the New Testament covenant will be fully realized and understood. Jew and Gentile uh, will live together and worship King Jesus. Now, only the Jews will live in Israel and in Jerusalem, but the Gentiles will travel in and out. The the believers will, worshiping our Lord and Savior. What a great day that's going to be. So uh, let me just quickly, before I get into the outline, let me give you a breakdown of the chapter broadly, and then we'll get right into uh, the notes we have prepared this evening. As I like to do with this 
when we go through a chapter at the very beginning is let's notice where the paragraph markers are. If you have a Bible with paragraph markers, you look down there and you'll notice that the, the Bible here is divided up. This chapter is divided up into three paragraphs. Paragraph one are verses one and two. You see a paragraph marker there beginning at verse number three. And so verse three down through verse eight is the second paragraph of the chapter. And then the third paragraph is verse nine down through verse 12. And so uh, broadly, this is an invitation to all. You may remember that when Jesus came into uh, the world and he uh, grew up there in Nazareth, had his uh, ministry there out of Capernaum, who did he call to himself? He did not call the elites, he did not call the polished, he did not call the educated, he called fishermen, he called tax collectors, he called zealots to follow him. And of this ragtag group of outcasts, he turned into men who had turned the world upside down with the gospel. And we see some of that same theme here this evening is that, yes, while God does call the Jews, he also calls those who would have been considered the outcasts of society to follow him. So here is the breakdown. Verses 1 and 2 talk about our behavior as we await Christ's coming kingdom. Verses 3 through 8 talk about those who are invited to participate in that kingdom. And then verses 9 through 12 talk about those who are poor leaders as we await Christ's coming kingdom. Kingdom. So let's jump in and look at those first two verses right off the bat. Uh, point number one tonight is this, the integrity God desires. If you're taking notes, you can fill out the blanks there on the back of your uh, prayer bulletin as we go. The integrity God desires. Let's look at chapter 56. Let's look at those first two verses and read them together. And then we'll begin to slowly dissect this and Parse and take apart. Look at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. So, we get here uh, that um, God requires of us Integrity. Let's look at this uh, in a very, uh, very specific way. Letter A, notice uh, our responsibility given. Our responsibility given. Verse 1 and 2, notice the responsibility that we're given. Look back at verse 1. Notice it says, Thus saith the Lord, look here, keep ye judgment and do justice. We're going to look at those very carefully here in just a moment. Look down to verse number 2. It says, Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it. And then we're given some more specifics here. That keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hands from doing any evil. Now, uh, my notes are quite a bit more extensive than your outline there, and so if you have a pen and you want to jot a little bit more down there, feel free to do that. Uh, underneath responsibility given, I have it broken up uh, like this, attributes and actions. And I have two attributes I see here that God wants from a man of integrity, and then two actions that are laid out for us that we keep we keep those attributes by continuing in these actions. So the first attribute I see in verse number one is the command to keep judgment. Keep judgment. Look back at verse one of chapter 56. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment. What does that mean to keep 
judgment. Well, uh, broadly, this is being written to the nation of Israel as they're looking at Babylonian captivity. Here they are going to be living in captivity in Babylon and they're going to lose their governmental structure. They're going to be in captivity. But even with all that, they're to maintain a sense of national judgment, of national order. They're not to let that go. They're not to meld in with the Babylonians. No, they're to stay together as a group and maintain judgment amongst themselves as they get ready to go back and establish their own country. Unlike the Ten northern tribes of Israel that would be taken over by the Assyrians. And instead of maintaining any sort of national structure, they intermarried with the Assyrians, henceforth the Samaritans, and uh, they sort of lost any sort of national uh, uh, sense there. So when I look at this command to keep judgment, the first thing I note is individual judgment, individual judgment. Uh, You need to make sure that you stay on top of judging yourself. Judging yourself. You know what folks are good at? They're good at judging others. You know what I am good at? I'm good at telling everyone else what they're doing wrong. But sometimes I fail to look in the mirror and see what I'm doing wrong. How many of you struggle with that too? You're, I'm not the only one tonight? Okay, good. I'm glad to see I'm not by myself on that. Uh, I can see the faults in my wife. I can see the faults in my kids Oftentimes, I can't see the faults in myself. That's why God gave me a wife. She helps me to see the faults in myself. Amen? And I need someone to help keep me on my toes with that. Uh, But uh, listen, uh, as a pastor, it is my duty to help people to grow. And I uh, am called to judge uh, folks and, and help them to see where they're coming short and where they can grow. But if I fail to be hard on myself, if I fail to judge myself, if I fail to challenge myself, I am useless in helping anyone else to grow. And I want to say tonight that the very first thing you need to do with keeping judgment is keep judgment with yourself. Learn how to hold yourself to a standard uh, that is in line with the Word of God. And when you're falling short, don't wait for a pastor to ring your bell from the pulpit or the Spirit of God to ring your bell in Bible reading. When the Spirit of God pokes you inside and says, hey, that's not quite right, you need to get proactive in getting yourself in line with God and the Word because in inside of God's Word, inside of God's will, we find peace. Boy, we need people in our church who will judge themselves. You know what I found is that if you're hard on yourself, very little reason for anyone else to be hard on you. Uh, I remember going in and sitting in the school principal's office my first year as a school teacher. And I had been outside playing football in the parking lot on an asphalt parking lot with some teenage boys. You say, well, that was foolish. Yes, it was, because I got a concussion at some point that year from being two hands shoved headfirst onto the asphalt. But uh, I didn't learn my lesson. Earlier in the year, we were playing two-hand touch football, and I I got pushed, and uh, to brace myself, I put my hand out and ran my hand through someone's taillight. I didn't cut myself, but I broke their taillight. And oh boy, I felt awful about that. So I went and sat in the principal's office and I owned the whole thing and I apologized to the principal. I was really beating myself up. And that principal, he looked at me and he said, you know what, you're being so hard on yourself, I don't think there's really much more for me to say here. 
go forth and sin no more. And uh, I, um, I left the office there uh, not, not, without a single reprimand because I had reprimanded myself. We need individual judgment, but furthermore, we need institutional judgment. Institutional judgment, whether you are a husband or an employer or uh, uh, maybe a mother of children uh, with children, small children at home or teenage children at home. Maybe you are a leader in some God-given way. Maybe you hold political office, which is, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Romans 13, instituted by God. Uh, it is your place when you're put over people to lead. It is your place to judge. You are to keep Judgment. Uh, parents that let their kids run around and do whatever they want, they're not keeping judgment. Pastors who let sin go under their nose uh, and they don't address it and deal with it, they're not keeping judgment. Uh, uh, husbands who let their wives live however they want without any sort of correction, they're not keeping judgment. What I am saying may not be politically correct, but it sure is biblically correct. We need men and women who have God-given authority, employers who let things go unchecked, under their purview, or government leaders who let things go unchecked under their purview, we need uh, folks who stand on the Word of God and keep judgment from the Word of God. And by the way, this is the book of morality by which we get truth, uh, we derive truth in order uh, to judge by. Uh, I know that uh, many of our governmental institutions right now are struggling with any sort of moral uh, 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 backing because they have sort of thrown the Bible out in a lot of ways. Uh, but if you go to the Supreme Court of the United States today and you walk in there, do you know what's etched on the walls of the Supreme Court? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. You know why? Because our ability to judge is derived from God and His Word, and by through that we judge. So our responsibility, given we're told here, we're to keep judgment. Notice back in verse number 1, not only are we to keep judgment, but look at verse 1, keep ye judgment, and notice this next one, and do justice. Do justice. Now that word justice is derived from the same word we get righteousness. In fact, the Spanish word translated righteousness is the word justicia, which also is our word for justice. And so the idea of justice, doing justice is the idea of doing right, of righteousness. And I have commonly defined righteousness as right standing with God, being in right standing with God. I want my children to be in right standing with me. Uh, there are times with teenagers in the home where there is something in the air between me and that teenage child and maybe they don't want to talk to me or they're avoiding me or there's some spirit of, of rebellion there and then there are other times where that spirit is removed and there's a strong intimate relationship there. I'm not only describing the relationship of a teenager and a parent, oftentimes I'm describing our relationship with God. Because we're not always ready to go running in the presence of God and talking to Him. Can I tell you what I think the number one preventer of prayer is in the Christian church today? It's personal sin. You see, when you have personal sin in your life, you don't want to stand in the presence of God. Because you know you're not right with Him. And you can't hide it from Him. But when we confess our sin and we forsake our sin, what's the Bible tell us? He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sin. But that means we are agreeing with God 
over our wrongdoing. And by the way, it's not just an intellectual, well, yeah, I know I probably shouldn't have said that. It is a full-blown ownership. I am not doing justly. I am not living justly. There is sin in my life. And so these attributes of keeping justice keeping judgment and doing justice are of the utmost importance. But practically, how do we put those in place? Well, those are the attributes. Let me give you the actions here. How do we keep these in place? Notice below attributes. Notice our priorities. Look down, look down with me at verse uh, number uh, 2 there. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it. Let's talk about the Sabbath for a few minutes. Our Seventh-day Adventist friends believe that we should still go to church on Saturday. We don't do that uh, here. We're a Baptist church, and we don't hold to that uh, interpretation of the Scripture. Let's take just a few minutes here and talk about the Sabbath, and then talk about where we're at today and where we will be in the millennial reign and how all this ties together with Isaiah 56. Turn over with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me remind you what was written in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, with the giving of the Ten Commandments, where uh, God told Moses, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week, and on our uh, weekly calendar as we keep it, that would be our Saturday. That's why... Um, the Seventh-day Adventist crowd goes to church on Saturday. They're trying to remember the Sabbath day as is given in the Ten Commandments. Where did the idea of the Sabbath day come from? Well, we know that God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, He rested. He rested. Uh, By the way, God did not rest on the seventh day because He was tired Because God doesn't get tired, He's God. He rested on the seventh day to give us an example of rest. We also know that Jesus is our rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew chapter 11 tells us. And we know that uh, God is rest, and He demonstrated for us rest, and He commanded a day to be taken of rest, Sabbath, Sabbath day. And so in the Old Testament covenant, in the Old Testament law, it was the seventh day, the Sabbath day, where they rested. However, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and uh, the, the believers would gather on the first day of the week, book, book of Acts, and they would worship the Lord, celebrating the fact that Jesus was alive. Now, we get to the book of Colossians, and again, Paul all throughout the New Testament is combating Judaism, trying to make its way, Judaizers, trying to make their way into the Christian church and bring back Judaism and intermingle it with uh, Christian grace in order to confound and confuse. And uh, uh, Paul here is addressing this and trying to draw a deep distinction between the practice of Judaism and now the practice of Christianity, the following of Jesus uh, with the spirit of grace, being saved by grace through faith. Look what Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 16. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon. Now this one's interesting. Or of the Sabbath days. Don't let any man judge you in regards to the Sabbath days. It is interesting to me that all Ten Commandments 
are repeated in the New Testament except for the command to keep the Sabbath. That is the only one you will not find repeated in the New Testament in any form. But we are told here that you're not to let any man judge you in regards to the Sabbath day. Furthermore, Jesus came on the picture and he upended the Sabbath day by picking, uh, allowing his disciples to pick corn out of the field there and eat or pick wheat out of the field there and eat on the Sabbath day. He said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. And I believe there's still a command in Scripture for us to rest. But during the church era, we don't we don't, we're not judged by the Sabbath day. Uh, we are to go to church on the first day of the week. But here is the question. Is God done with the Sabbath day? Is the Sabbath day a relic of the Old Testament? Or is the Sabbath day yet still going to be in play in the future? Well, the next verse of Colossians 2 seems to shed some light on that. Look at verse 17. Speaking of meat and drink and holy days and new moons and Sabbath days, look at verse 17 which are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Christ. It would seem to me, from this verse and other verses I've looked at and studied, that the Sabbath day is something that will be reinstituted during the millennial reign of Christ. That we will go back to, to, to celebrating and resting on the Sabbath day when King Jesus rules from Israel. Now, what was the point... Here's, here's the greater thing I'm trying to draw out this evening. I, I, while we want to be technical with Scripture so we can be careful, we don't want to leave here with just a bunch of technical jargon on our head. We want to leave here with something very practical that we can use to better ourselves. What was the point of Sabbath day? It was a, a reset button every week to make sure that your heart was in line with God and that everything uh, was right between you and your Maker. Okay? Uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I, get, I put down the wrong verse here. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We're commanded to uh, keep judgment and do justice. And... Part of the way that they did that was by taking a Sabbath day every week to hit a spiritual reset button and make sure that they were right with God. That was the Jews in the New Testament. Christians have been given the same command. Followers of Jesus have been given the same command in the New Testament. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, the forsaking of ourselves together, the assembling of ourselves together. We know this to be the local church. All right, everybody listen. I had someone say to me, show me a verse in the Bible where the local church is commanded. And I, I said, I can take you to a variety of verses, but did you know that the book of Romans was written to the local church at Rome? And the books of Corinthians were written to the local church at Corinth. Okay, Ephesians to the local church at Ephesus. Half of your New Testament was written to local churches. God is a fan of the local church. He is pro-local church. We need to be plugged into a local church. Look at verse 25 again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know what that means? That means you are to find a body of believers and you are to assemble with them. Now, what comes from that? Look here. 
but exhorting one another. Exhorting. You know what that means? That means encouraging one another. That means sharpening one another. That means making each other better. But uh, And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Um, let's see here. Turn over with me. Oh, no, we're going to do that one in just a minute here. Our priorities. Now, uh, Pastor King, my uh, friend in ministry, mentor in ministry, he was here for our couples conference and then stuck, stuck around to preach uh, the following Sunday. And he made this statement when he preached in church. He said, I can make an argument that the most important command for the Christian is not to read your Bible and is not to pray. It is not to go soul winning. The most important command in the New Testament for the Christian believer is to go to church. And all, everyone kind of looked at him funny. And he said, because when you go to church, you're reminded to read your Bible. And when you go to church, you're reminded to pray. And when you go to church, you're reminded to share your faith. And when you go to church, you're reminded to love your brother. And when you go to church, you're reminded to give. And when you go to church, you're reminded to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you know what? They pause on the Sabbath day so they could be reminded to keep judgment and do justice. And we pause on Sundays to come to church and be reminded to keep judgment and do justice. So how, what actions help us to keep these attributes in place? Well, we have to prioritize the gathering of our, assembling of ourselves together. But notice not only our priorities, notice our purity. Uh, speaking about our actions, we need to be pure in our behavior. Turn over to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians 6. By the way, while you're turning there, why did the Israelites end up in bondage for 70 years in Babylon? They were in bondage for 70 years in Babylon because for 490 years they refused to give the land its rest every seven years. They were to plow a field for six years and let that field rest for a seventh year. And then plow that field for six years and give that land rest for seven years. Modern day farming has found out that that's the best way to maximize how much you get out of the ground is by giving that land rest every seven years. What do you know? The science finally caught up with the Bible on those things. But for 490 years... They did not give the land its rest. And God said that I'm going to give the land its rest. Stuck Israel in captivity for exactly 70 years. The amount of time that they stole from the land. And He claimed it back. Because they refused to keep the Sabbath, God put them in punishment. And I'm going to say this by way of transition to us as Christians. When we refuse to give God His Sabbaths, and when we refuse to honor the Lord uh, with our behavior, and when we refuse not to give the Lord back Sundays, here's what we run into. We run into a place where we steal God's hand of blessing off our lives because we're no longer doing justice or keeping judgment and doing justice. We lose, we lose our bearings. I can't tell you uh, where I would be if it wasn't for church. I can't tell you. I, I have no idea how bad it would be for me. You say, well, I don't need church. And I, look, I'm preaching in the choir tonight. It's Wednesday night. If you're here, it's because you're ultra devoted to church. Um, uh, but uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But you know what? If it wasn't for church, I'd believe all kinds of crazy things. I'd be picking doctrine out of a tree over here and more doctrine out of a tree over here. Who knows? Maybe I wouldn't even be uh, reading my Bible or, or believing in God whatsoever. Uh, you, have you heard of this new category of uh, religious affiliation called nuns? Nuns? Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. Nuns? These are people who say, well, I'm not saying there is a God, but I'm not saying there isn't a God. I'm just saying I don't care. Nuns are growing 
category of nuns are growing in our country. And you know what? That's probably where I would be if it wasn't for faithful, regular church attendance throughout my life. I've been hurt at church. If you've gone to church, you've gotten hurt somewhere along the way. Someone's mistreated you. Someone's called you a name. Someone's looked at you funny. Someone said something that hurt your feelings. I've been kicked out of churches uh, before uh, over various things that were completely unfair and wrong. But at the end of the day, church has done so much more for me then it has hurt me. And you know what? We go to church and we're reminded to keep judgment and do justice or live righteously. Our purity. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bearing ye, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. There have been a handful of times where I've sat across from a Christian brother and he put his finger in my face and he said, you're wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And you need to stop. And you know what? He did it because he loved me and cared for me. And uh, you know where I met that person? At church. At church. And I'm thankful that, 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 that I had someone who could correct me when I was wrong. You know what the more common... Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You know what the more common situation has been for me throughout my life is I have gone through hardships and struggles and I've had many of you come along my side and help me bear that burden as I've gone through life's struggles. I remember when I had COVID a couple of years ago and I was sick in bed, borderline going to the hospital. I got some medical treatment about halfway through that turned the tide for me. Because I was on a downward slope of, of being very, very sick and, and probably being in the hospital had it not been for uh, the medical help I got. And I remember, I remember daily having many church members, many of you in here, text me and check up on me and see how I was doing. But you weren't just texting me. You know what many of you were doing? You were praying for me. How many of you here have ever had a hard time in your life and you had a brother or sister in Christ come along your side and just kind of help you carry the burden? You know what? That's what church is great for. And uh, it helps us. It helps us to stay pure. It helps us to put that righteousness into practice. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 9. For God hath not appointed, and again, this is written to a local church at Thessalonica. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Look at verse 11. Wherefore, Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, we're going to get into verse 11 in just a minute. But I just want to say this before we get, or rather, we're going to get into verse 14 in just a moment. But I just want to say this before we move on. You are just as sinful at your core as I am. You are just as capable of falling into the pit of depravity and sin as I am. There's nobody here that's above it. And we all want to come to church and act like we've all got it together, but deep down inside, you struggle with pride and sin just like I do. And you struggle with lust just like I do. And you struggle with temptation just like I do. And you know what? The only way that you're going to stay pure and the only way that I'm going to stay pure is that if we're around other Christians who can help us make sure we stay on the right path. You know what church is good for? 
It's good because it takes the standard of the Word of God and it holds it high and says, this is where we need to live and this is who we need to be and this is how we need to behave. And it pushes hypocrisy away from us. How is it that we, that we keep justice and do judgment? Well, we have church every Sunday and at this place every Wednesday to help hold that standard high and help us hit reset buttons. And we have church to help us not only with maintaining the right priorities in life, but keeping a heart that's pure. Look at verse 14. We see here yet the point of coming to church and sharpening each other. Look here. Now we exhort you. There's a pushing, a motivating, and encouraging here. Look here. Brethren, warn them that are unruly. That means if someone's doing wrong and you love them, lovingly and meekly get in their face and challenge them a little bit. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak, but be patient with all men. And that is how we stay pure. Now, that is is, uh, the responsibility given. Let's go back to chapter 56 and verse number 1, and let's see the reward that's guaranteed. The reward that's guaranteed. Look at chapter 56 and look at verse 1. Keep ye judgment. Thus saith the Lord... Keep ye judgment and do justice. Now here is the reward in the back half of this verse. We talked about promises on Sunday. Staggering at the promises of God. Well, the the conditional promise here is that if you keep judgment and if you do justice, look here, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Oh, there are layers right here to this. There are so many layers. In fact, uh, I counted just from my studying of the Bible on this, one, two, three, four layers to this right here. So look here again, the back half of verse one, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. What does that mean? Well, uh, I wrote this down in my notes, and as I've studied the book of Isaiah, I have come to learn that Isaiah does this quite a bit. There is, on a lot of Isaiah's prophecies, there is what I'll call the immediate fulfillment that's realized even just a few hundred years later, or within a hundred years or so of his writing. And then there is the ultimate fulfillment. Immediate fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment. A lot of Isaiah's prophecies are double prophecies or more. And so here, what does he mean by my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed? Well, remember, this was written in prophecy of Israel's captivity into Babylon. And so what did he mean by salvation being near? Well, for those sitting in Babylonian captivity, salvation meant the reestablishment of Jerusalem. And we know that that's exactly what would happen, is that um, uh, King Cyrus would rise to power and he would send the Israelites back in four different waves. They would go back to Jerusalem and uh, eventually Nehemiah and Ezra would go back and they would rebuild uh, the walls. They would rebuild the temple. Joshua, the first uh, high priest being back, reestablished. And they would uh, get rid of sin and they would realize the salvaging of the city of Jerusalem and the reestablishment of uh, King David's city there, but what else did that mean? That would have been the most immediate fulfillment of salvation being near and righteousness being revealed, but how about uh, for all of humanity? Well, uh, we know that uh, that would be referring to the 
the incarnation of Christ. John 1, the Word being made flesh and dwelling amongst us. And uh, we know that uh, that would not only be Him him being made flesh, but Him uh, laying down His life and raising Himself up again for the death of our sins. Salvation is made near to us. Righteousness is to be revealed. Jesus, the righteous of all righteous, came and lived amongst us and He died for us on the cross. But what is the ultimate fulfillment of this passage? Well, for the New Testament church, salvation means the rapture. That's the next event on our, uh, uh, our, our timeline here where Jesus is going to come back and the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise, 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. How many of you would like to, Jesus to come back tonight? Anybody okay with that? I'm ready for him to come back tonight. And um, I, I would love that. I would Listen, there's nothing here holding me back from the desire. I would love to see my Savior's face this evening. Maybe I'll be driving to New York City to get the Ordonias, and I'll go shooting up to the sky, and the Ordonias van will go in the ditch. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, I don't want anybody to get hurt. But uh, uh, Jesus is coming, going to be coming back, I believe, very, very, very soon. And uh, that day is coming. But what else is the ultimate fulfillment of salvation being near to us and righteousness being revealed and this reward being guaranteed? Well, this one's excited. For the tribulation saints and the persecuted Jews, salvation will mean the second coming of Christ. The Revelation 19, the battle of Megiddo, the, the defeating of the Antichrist and the enemies of the world and the establishment of the millennial reign and the thousand years that Jesus will rule right here on this earth. Salvation will be made near to us and righteousness will be revealed as the Old Testament and New Testament completed together and and the laws given out there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 will become the laws of the land that all of us will follow and that uh, Jesus Christ, King Jesus, will put into place. What a day that will be when Jesus is King of this earth and then King over all of eternity. So we see here, uh, we see here the reward that's guaranteed. Let me just say that Jesus' coming and His death on the cross is the realization of the righteousness revealed. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for you? Aren't you glad He rose from the dead and He's alive forevermore? And I just want to say this, that when Jesus comes back, I want Him to find me with the right attributes in my life. I want Him to find me doing my best to keep judgment. I want Him to look at me as a father and as a husband and as a pastor and say, He did His best to keep judgment. He did His best to do righteousness. Is there a sin in your life right now that you know is wrong that you're holding on to and you won't let go? Is there a sin that's there? If so, you need to get, get going to war and you need to conquer that thing. And you need to make sure that your heart is ready. Now, um, in closing, and we'll pick up point two here the next time we meet uh, on a Wednesday night. In closing... I sure would hate for Jesus to come back and catch me in a temperous rage yelling at my spouse or my kids. I sure would hate for Jesus to come back and find me in a moment of lust or covetousness or in a a carnal, fleshly spirit of lying 
Boy, I want Jesus to come back and I want to look Him in the eye and I want to behold the One who loved me and I want to be at peace with Him. Now all of us, when we see Jesus, are going to realize just how sinful we are. But are you dealing with sin that you know is evident and obvious in your life? Or have you just laid down and let that run you over and continue to be a problem in your life? We need to make sure our priorities are right. We're consistently following the right priorities and that our hearts are pure before God. Amen? Well, let's stand together for a word of prayer and then we're going to be dismissed this evening.